Well, hey, uh, I'm glad that we get to continue as we honor Ron and express our gratitude to him this morning that we get to talk about worship. And, and as you know, if you've been here in the last several weeks, we've been focusing on what is true wor- worship. You know, this is a vital question. We've got to get this right. If we don't get this right, we're not going to get anything else right. Um, you've heard me use the illustration before that, that we got from Kyle Eidelman, a, a Christian author and pastor. You know, if that top button of your dress shirt isn't buttoned and in, in the right slot, none of the other buttons on the shirt are going to line up with their right slot. Um, and that's how it goes. If our relationship to God is right and we, we are worshiping him and we're loving him and treasuring him and cherishing him above all other relationships and things, that's when we're then able to really enjoy our relationships and the good gifts he's given us in the right ways um, for his glory and for our pleasure. So we're asking a very, very vital question with this sermon series, what is true worship? Um, last two weeks, it's, we've really been focusing on the mind because we've defined true worship this way, according to what we see in the Bible, that worship is trusting something supremely with your mind Loving something supremely with your heart and obeying and serving something supremely with your actions. And so, last two weeks, been focused on trusting God with your mind supremely. Um, this morning, we're going to shift gears a bit and we're going to look at how can we worship God with our hearts? How can we love Him supremely with our hearts? Um, worship isn't meant to just stay at a head level, an intellectual level. That's the starting point, but it can't end there. It's got to go into the, the heart. Now, I, I need to tell you this. Typically, when the Bible uses the word heart, it's referring to that place in us from which we do all of our thinking, our feeling, and all of our choosing from. Now, for the purposes of this sermon series, we're separating the the thinking part of the heart and assigning that to the mind. And as I talk about heart today and in this series, we're using the heart to refer just to feelings, emotions, and affections. So I just want to make that clear. As we talk about the heart today, we're going to be talking about mainly our, our our emotions, not not our thoughts. Um, so the question that I'm going to seek to answer this morning is how do we worship God with the emotions of our heart? That's the question we're going to answer. Let me pray and then we'll dive in. Just so you know, normally I read a chunk of scripture at the beginning of the message. Uh, that's usually the scripture that the message is going to be rooted in. We're not going to be rooted and grounded in any one text of Scripture. We're going to be grounded in a whole bunch of Scripture passages that will be read sporadically um, as we go through each point. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We are so glad and grateful for you. What a God you are and what love you have shown us. Lord, we thank you 
that you rescue and redeem us. That even though we have gone our own way, even though we have tried to be the master of our own lives, the captain of our own ship, the CEO of our life, and rebelled against you, you came and pursued us to rescue us from our wayward ways that ultimately lead to death. We praise you for that. Lord, we are grateful that you got a hold of Ron's heart at such an early age for him and how you rescued him from uh, the path that he was on, a path of destruction um, back in the 70s, I believe. Thank you for your faithfulness to him. May that be a reminder to all of us that you're going to be faithful to us, that you will never leave nor forsake us, and that you'll supply all our needs, and that you'll give us what we need to serve you uh, wherever you lead us. And so we just praise you for that. Lord, we want to worship you, and we know that you desire worship that includes our whole being, our whole personality, our, our thoughts but also our feelings and affections and our emotions. Lord, I pray that as we consider how to do that this morning, that you would enlighten us, that you would stir and move our emotions and our feelings. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us and that you can speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here are the four truths that I think we need to understand if we are going to worship God fully with the emotions of our hearts. So, number one, human emotions are a part of God's good creation. The lie that human emotions are bad has crept into our view of the Christian life. Human emotions need to be redeemed, not rejected. True worship involves human emotions. So we're going to progress through each one of these points, starting with that first one. Human emotions are part of God's good creation. You know, I believe that emotions and feelings and affections have gotten a bad rap. There seems to be a lot of thinking that exists that, that will say that human emotion is the enemy, that feelings crowd out good thinking, that feelings can't be trusted, that feelings are something to be ignored or suppressed, that having deep emotions is a sign of weakness, not a sign of strength. I'm not really exactly sure how this lie has crept in, uh, to the minds of American people, but I think it's there and it's prevalent. And I think it often operates kind of in the background, and we're not fully aware that we have even bought into this kind of negative thinking when it comes to human emotions. And I guess it really shouldn't surprise us, though, right? We have a corrupted sin nature that loves to distort God's truth, and we also have an enemy that is the father of lies and, and loves to try and get us away from reflecting the image of God. And so I guess it shouldn't be such, such a surprise that we often don't have a truthful, healthy view of human emotions. 
And I think that this negative view when it comes to emotions is probably best um, depicted in our version of what a real man is. A real man in American culture is stoic, is unflappable, steady eddy, right? Cool guys don't look at explosions. I want you to see this video here because I think it depicts what I'm talking about. Got time to watch an explosion. This cool guy errands that they have to walk to. Keep walking, keep shining. Don't look back, keep on walking. Keep strutting, slow motion. The more you ignore it, the cooler you look. Ladies and gentlemen, best part. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Neil Diamond. <laughs> Where are don't look at explosions They stride forward in their diamond-covered boots They wear jumpsuits of literary rhinestones And walk away in slow motion Keep walking, you're cruising Cherry cherries to sweet Caroline Denzel walks, Will Smith walks Mark Wahlberg is wearing a hat Second best part. J.J. Abrams! Yeah! <laughs> now you're talking. Okay. Great. I, I told Haley, I said, I'm going to play this. Some people aren't going to laugh at this. and They're not going to think it's funny. I'm playing this just simply for my own pleasure. Because every time I see it, I just love it. But this, the lines of this song, <laughs> I, it's funny that I'm quoting this song as part of a, a sermon. That just struck me as funny in my own brain. But it says, they walk away. Cool guys don't look at explosions. They, they walk away unaffected as they blow up the bad guys, right? That... I know this is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a silly video, obviously, but I do feel like we have bought into this kind of idea, especially us men, that we're this stoic, unaffected, unflappable, steady eddy kind of uh, types. Um, the fire is hot, but their heart is chill, is what they were saying. I'm curious... Have you ever heard your father cry? Raise your hand if you heard, have heard your father cry. Not too bad. Let me ask you this. How many of you men have ever cried in front of your wife? Raise your hand. Not too bad. This is good. Let me ask you this. How many, of, how many of you men have ever cried in front of your kids? Fewer. Let me ask you this. How many of you men have ever cried in front of your friends? All right. 
Let me ask you this. How many of you feel uncomfortable by these questions or find it uncomfortable to raise your hands? That tells you something, doesn't it? How we are with emotions. Here's what I've come to learn. Human emotions are a part of God's good creation. You need to know this. This truth needs to get into your heart. Having feelings is a part of what it means to be human. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, guess what? They felt. It wasn't a part of the fall. It was, it was part of God's good creation. Actually, if you were to look at Genesis 2, I believe it is, it says that right before the fall happened, Adam and Eve, they felt no shame. They felt approved. They felt accepted. They felt good. They felt at peace. The reason that Adam and Eve were created with and having emotions is because they were made in God's image. And you know what? God is an emotional God. Maybe you've never thought about it that way. God is an emotional God. Genesis 6.6 6 says that shortly after, well, I guess short, short in terms of the whole course of human history, but as, as the people, as people populated the earth, Genesis 6, 6 says that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth. And check this out. He was grieved in his heart. Grieved in his heart. God has a heart. God has feelings. He feels deeply. The Bible tells us not only does God feel sadness, but also God feels emotions such as anger, love, Jealousy, hatred, compassion, and joy. God is an emotional God. Regarding God's, uh, pe- uh, regarding God's people, uh, when, they, when they were worshiping the gods of uh, the Canaanites and actually were sacrificing their children to these gods, the scriptures say this about God in Psalm 106.40. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people so that he abhorred his own inheritance. God felt great anger. God also feels tremendous love. John 3.16 speaks of this, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're talking about deep, deep, profound love here, aren't we? The most deep the deepest form of love that we can imagine. Um, he gave up his own only begotten son. When God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments, God told Moses this, Exodus 25, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. King Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, tells us that God feels hatred. What does God hate? Well, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 tells us, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, 
and one who sows discord among brethren. Back in the uh, book of Exodus, the Lord, before he passes, well, when the Lord passes before Moses, God told Moses that he feels compassion. Check out this verse, Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in, uh, in goodness and truth. Some translations translate the, the word, the Hebrew word, uh, that w- is translated merciful here as, you know, compassion. Zephaniah talks about how God feels and expresses joy in regards to his people. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God, in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. What a thought. And then there's Jesus. Right? And we know that the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. And so if you want to know what God is like and how he operates in the things that he feels, you need to look at Jesus. Walter Hansen, in this great article that I read this week in Christianity Today, uh, which was titled, The Emotions of Jesus, wrote this. The gospel writers paint their portraits of Jesus using a kaleidoscope of brilliant emotional colors. Jesus felt compassion. He was angry, indignant, and consumed with zeal. He was troubled, greatly distressed, very sorrowful, depressed, deeply moved, and grieved. He sighed, he wept, and sobbed. He groaned, he was in agony, he was surprised and amazed. He rejoiced very greatly and was full of joy. He greatly desired and he loved. Jesus was emotional. He felt deeply. The easiest memory verse in the Bible, because it is the shortest, is John eleven thirty five, 35. And look what it says. Simply, Jesus wept. And the reason that Jesus was weeping in this passage that this verse is from is because his good buddy Lazarus had died, and he was grieved over that, and he was grieved over the sadness that Lazarus's death caused Mary and Martha, some of Jesus's other good friends. In fact, if you were to read John eleven thirty three, it says that Jesus groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Of this event and of, these, of this emotion that Jesus felt, Hansen writes this, when the word disturbed was used for animal sounds, it denoted the loud, angry snorting of horses. When used for human emotions, it emphasized the mixture of of anguish and rage. Jesus wept. His groans welled up from the depths of his spirit, racked his body, shook the tombs, and echoed back from them. He raged against death, that terrible, terrible enemy that had attacked this in every family. Mm. If the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Christ so that we may glorify God and enjoy him forever, 
we would do well to allow ourselves to feel deeply. We have to reject the lie that human emotions are bad, something to suppress or ignore. Second point, the lie that human emotions are bad has crept into our view of the Christian life. I think this is true for many Christians. You know, there are some Christians that have been captured by this lie, and as a result, they're all about right thinking when it comes to God. They're all about doctrine. They're all about the duty of the Christian life, but they know nothing of the joy of Christian life. Because there's no room in their theology for good feelings. Their theology says that the Christian life isn't about feelings, and therefore they're always serious and somber. They're always restrained. They really don't get excited about anything. You almost wonder if they have a pulse. For the most part, they seem pretty miserable. They don't know how to have fun. You never really hear them laugh. Most of the time they're cranky and annoyed at someone for not doing things the way they think they should be done. After all, they think rightly, and they do rightly. And they have extremely high standards that only they seem to be able to measure up to. They can't lighten up because, remember, the Christian life is about duty. It's about right thinking and not letting your emotions get in the way. The result, nobody enjoys being around them, and nobody wants the Jesus that they say they have. The lie that human emotions are bad has crept into my life in a different way. You know, um, and I really wasn't aware of it till recently, but I have bought into the lie that real men don't show strong emotions or don't have strong emotions, aren't supposed to have strong emotions. And if they do, they better not show them. When I discovered this and when it became abundantly clear to me, it was a few years back, I've shared this with you before, but when Elijah went to kindergarten, and I was really having a difficult time with anxiety. Um, I was just an emotional wreck. And I was going to a good counselor at the time. And I remember she looked at me and she said, Shane, and probably everybody else in my life could see this, but I couldn't. And that's, that's the case often with ourselves. Shane, you feel deeply. That's what she told me. And I was almost like offended that she said that, that I was a deep feeler. What? Shane, you feel deeply. And I was offended because I had always had in my mind that a real man is unflappable, that a real man doesn't let emotions cloud good, logical, rational thinking. Emotions were something to kind of set over there. And so I was offended. Like, you think I'm a sissy? Is kind of how I took that. Right? Then I was working with my friend out in California who helped me with my sabbatical and has provided me with spiritual direction. And I remember him making me aware of this. He said, Shane, when you encounter difficult situations, this is what you have a tendency to do. You suppress your negative emotions that you're experiencing, 
and you just work harder and harder and harder, and you just keep pushing forward and pushing forward and pushing forward. All right. Then never knew that about myself, but as I reflected on it, he was right. Now, why did I do this, and why do I still have a tendency to do this? I believe it was because I was programmed to, to live this way. When the going gets tough, you get tougher, right? No pain, no gain, no fear. Be a man. Be strong. Don't lose. Win. Keep your hands to the plow. Keep moving. Keep pushing forward. Be mentally tough. Don't whine and complain. It hurts, but people are hurting a lot worse. Ministry is difficult, but it's really difficult for a lot of other people. You're not shedding blood yet. Many people are. Quit whining. Quit complaining. You have nothing to cry about. Suck it up. I had bought into the lie that emotions are bad, so ignore them or suppress them. Now, what happens? Do these emotions that you ignore, do they ignore you? Nope. These emotions that you suppress and try and bury, do they stay buried? Nope. They have a life of their own. And what happens is they will come out. And they will come out in moodiness. They will come out in crankiness. They will come out in anger. They will come out in anxiety. They will come out in depression. That's what happens when we ignore and suppress emotions. The idea that the human, that human emotions is bad has also crept into how many Christians conduct worship services. Some worship services are strictly about right thinking. You know, don't, don't use music that might hit the human emotions. We don't want people having an emotional experience. Because, remember, emotions are bad and they might get in the way of right of why the about God. Now, let me be clear. We just, we just went over two weeks of why the mind and right thinking is so important in worship, right? And why Christian doctrine is absolutely important. And Because if we're not worshiping God for who he truly is, it doesn't matter what kind of emotions we have. We're making God into an idol of our own making, and we're not worshiping him in truth, Right? But there's an opposite error that is equally destructive to worship um, as not thinking rightly about God. And I think that equal, equally destructive error is totally removing the, the emotions out of worship. Now, it's true that our, uh, that our emotions can mislead us, right? That's happened to all of us. Just like our thoughts can mislead us. But we don't tell people, hey, stop thinking about God. Right? No, we, we teach them how to think rightly about God. It's the same thing we got to do with the emotions. We don't say, stop feeling, don't bring your emotions to your worship. We need to teach people how to properly use their mo- emotions, leverage their emotions in ways that God finds pleasing. And that leads me to the third takeaway. Here it is. Human emotions need to be redeemed, not rejected. 
I've already stated that God is emotional. He feels deeply. Made in his image, we humans are like him in this way. But you know how God is different than us when it comes to emotions? God always feels the right emotion at the right time, in the right way, to the right degree. We don't. That's how God is extremely different than us. His emotions are always in alignment with the truth of who he is and the reality that he has created. They're without sin. Because of our sin nature, our emotions don't work that way. Sometimes we're sad when we should be happy, aren't we? Sometimes we're happy when we should be sad. Sometimes we're calloused and lack compassion when we should feel mercy. There are times when we are sad and we don't know why. Has anybody experienced that? You just feel gloomy and you can't even pinpoint why. Sometimes we have a bounce in our step and we don't know why. And our spouses notice it like, what's gotten into you? You're happy, you know. Sometimes we're in a situation that, cause, that should cause us anger, but we don't feel a good, righteous indignation. We feel this rage, and we want revenge. You see, often our feelings lead us to sin. James tells us that we desire, but we do not have, and so we lie, and we cheat, and we still to get it. We often desire the wrong things in our heart. We often cherish and value and treasure the wrong things in our heart. Our feelings just do not work properly. Our hearts need to be transformed just as much as our minds, our thoughts, our thinking needs to be renewed. We need new affections. We need new desires. We need new cravings. We need to feel the right things at the right time in the right way to the right degree. That's what we need. Now, what can do this? How can our feelings line up in the right way with right thinking so that we are led into right living? That's the question. Well, guess what? We need a new heart. Only a new heart can allow us to feel in ways that we should. And the way we get a, a new heart combines God's sovereignty and human responsibility, like many answers in the Bible. Look, God promised long ago that he would in Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20, then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. If you were to read Hebrews 10, it's a fantastic chapter, but if you were to read this chapter, you would see that Jesus' sacrifice, the bi- one of the big things that Jesus' sacrifice made possible was he made it possible for us to have a new heart. He made it possible for us to have a heart transplant. That those who believe in him and put their trust in him will receive a new heart. God is the only one who can replace our old, unbelieving, rebellious heart with a new heart of faith and obedience. So many people go at trying to change their heart in their own power, in their own strength, and it just does not work for the long term. 
we're going to talk about how we then, next week, we'll talk about how then we can partner with God to see this new heart be strengthened and developed and and guarded. So we're going to talk about that next Sunday, so stay tuned. This leads me to the fourth and final point, and it's this. This is the reason why we need a redeemed heart and why we need redeemed affections, emotions, and, and desires. Because true worship includes human emotion. The greatest commandment in the entire Bible... The greatest commandment of the 613 commandments that are found in the first five books of the Bible, the, and all the commandments, and one of the two commandments that sum up all the law and all the prophets in the Old Testament is in Mark 12:30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now notice in this verse that Jesus, he distinguishes the heart from the mind. Why did he do this? My thinking is he distinguished these two because he wanted us to know that true worship involves our feelings, our affections, our desires, not just our thoughts. I think that's why he distinguished between the two. Now, there are people who go to church Because they believe they're supposed to. They do it out of a sense of duty or obligation, right? They go through the motions and their heart isn't isn't in it. That's not true worship. That's not worship. The Pharisees, a group of Jews that existed during Jesus' early ministry, were probably some of the most religious people in the world ever. I'm serious. Like, they were... they. You know, these 613 laws, they added their own laws to these 613 so that they could ensure that they wouldn't break any of the 613. That's how religious they were. We have Bible studies. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. I'm struggling just to even begin memorizing Romans 8 that I told you about last Sunday. They were the most... Some of the most religious people you would ever see or meet, their lives were squeaky clean. They knew a lot about God, but their religion, their religious observance, their knowledge of God just puffed them up. It made them feel superior to those around them. It made them believe that God owed them. And when Jesus addressed this group of people, the Pharisees, he quoted the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he said to them. He was saying that this prophecy of Isaiah applies to the Pharisees. Matthew 15, 8, this is what he quoted. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Man. Look, God doesn't just want us to do the right things. He wants us to do the right things for the right reasons, from the right heart motivations. That's true worship. He wants us to do the right things because in our hearts we treasure and cherish him above everything else. You know, imagine if one evening I made a special dinner for Mary and I bought her flowers and I told her the only reason I did it is because, look, 
I just felt a sense of duty. I'm married to her. I'm her husband. And so I sh- that's why I did it. I don't have any feelings for her. Don't desire her. Not attracted to her. How loving would that feel? You feel horrible, right? And I would be devastated if the tables were turned and that, that she did that to me. That's not love. Sure, when we love someone, we often do things for them when we don't feel like it, right? And you can argue that in some ways that's a deeper form of love. But, look, if we never have feelings for them, if we never have desires for them, if we never cherish them or treasure them in our hearts, that's not love. Look, there are times when I wake up on Sunday morning at 6.30 to start preparing for the service, and I think that I really wish I could go back to bed and skip church, right? We all have those Sundays. But if going to worship God on Sunday morning with his people is always a drag for you, if it's always I would rather skip church and do other things, if you're always looking at the clock during the service because you want it to be over, because you really don't want to be here and you just want to go do your other things, look, you have to ask yourself, has God in his gospel really captured your heart? Has the gospel really melted your heart? Have you really seen its beauty? Is it really real to you? Have you really trusted your life to Christ? Have you really believed this gospel message that you are broken, that you can't help yourself, that you are dead in sin, that you're on the path to eternal death in a place the Bible calls hell, a miserable place. But Jesus, this amazing God and Savior, has come and he put on human flesh to come and to live a perfect life and to die this death that can be transferred to you because of faith in him. Has that moved you? Has that melted your heart? Let's review. Human emotions are a part of God's good creation. The lie that human emotions are bad has crept into our view of the Christian life. Human emotions need to be redeemed, not rejected. True worship involves human emotions. And so when we come here on Sunday morning, you bring all your emotions. Bring them to Jesus. Bring your joy, bring your happiness, bring your sadness, bring your anger. I'm so glad that God has allowed us to have emotions. Think about the things that get done in this world because humans have emotions. I think of Cody and Jeremy. Why are they doing this? Because their hearts have been moved with compassion. That's, that's, that's how anything gets done in this world. Think of the civil rights movement and the leaders who led that movement. Think of William Wilberforce in the, in the leading of abolishing the, the slave trade. Hmm. Think of the people who participated in City Serve last weekend, moved with compassion for our neighbor. Think of the people that are going to serve 
at our trunk or treat. Move with compassion for our city. Think of Ron in the passion he has had for Jesus, in the passion he has had for this church body, in the passion he has had for the music and, and that gift that God has given him that's led him to serve in the way he has for 46 years. And you know what? I'm so glad that God is an emotional God. Look, if he wasn't, we would have never been created. He created to love us. He created us to love us. And check this out. We would have never been rescued. What do we call the week in which Jesus bled and died for us? Passion week. God is an emotional God. Hmm. Out of intense love for God the Father, and out of intense love for you and me, that was the passion that enabled Jesus to subject himself to the most wretched of deaths ever devised by humans ever. Remarkable. Hebrews 12.2 says it. Looking, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, the joy of loving his Father and for loving us, he endured the cross. Do you know this Jesus? Have you given your life over to him? Have you surrendered everything to him? Have you gotten off track and you need to rededicate your life to him this morning? A ALCF, praise him with all that's within you. Cherish and treasure him above all things. Love him with all your heart, for he is worthy. Let's pray. Father, may our worship not slide into false worship where we suppress and ignore emotions and feelings and Lord, we pray that you would so redeem us that we would not only think right, but we would feel right in the right moments, in the right situations, in the right ways, to the right extent. And Lord, we pray that we would bring it all to you, that we would not only worship you in truth, but worship you in spirit, which includes our emotions. Thank you for your passion for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.